just selling narcotics. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, tonight's episode is uh, probably kind of a first for us, right, Rob? Definitely a first. So we're going to review a book. We're going to have the author on to help us review the book. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, for uh, longtime listeners or people who have ever heard the show, David James Keaton is one of our uh, certainly one of our favorite guests and someone who's uh, who's been a friend of the show since almost near the beginning. Twelve episodes in, maybe fourteen episodes in, Rob. Does that sound about right? Uh, Eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, well, he loved us. I'm sure long well, before yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, he was he was the shy guy across the room, kind of looking at we, us. Yeah, we made it official. <laughs> the eighteenth, nineteenth. Yeah. So. Um, that's death. We're going to have Keaton on first. I'm going to read uh, a non Rob Olson approved author bio. So um, get ready for, for this one because it's a long one. David James Keaton's work has appeared in over 50 publications, including Noir at the Bar, Chicago Quarterly Review, Thuglet, Pank, Beat to a Pulp, The Fiddleback, Needle, Pulp Modern, and Grift. Recently, he won a Best Short Story on the Web Spine Tingler Award for his roulette scam in Crime Factory Number 8. And his coach killing contribution to plots with guns number 10 was named a notable story of 2010 by Story South's Millions Writers Award. Is that right? Yeah. Story South's Okay. He has also been nominated for the Pushcart Prize. He received his MFA from the University of Pittsburgh and is the co founder and editor in chief of Flywheel Magazine. He is constantly tinkering with several screenplays, including a prison movie, a thriller, and a western, occasionally adapting them into novels. He realizes this method is probably backwards. His collection, Fish Bites Cop, Stories to Bash Authorities, is out now from Comet Press. And that's the book we'll be reviewing. You know what he'll be able to put in that bio in another couple months? Uh, something very exciting, the uh, book anthology. Absolutely. And uh, that story, not in Fish Bites Cop, but what a wonderful story we have from Keaton to, uh, to bring to the masses. Absolutely. So um, before I read the synopsis of uh, Fish Bites Cop, I just want to say at the beginning of his bio, it says uh, he's appeared in over 50 publications, of which nine of them are named in his bio. So that's almost 20 percent of them. So that's kind of big. <laughs> I was thinking as I was reading, it, I was like, God, I hope all 50 of them aren't in here. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, a quick synopsis about the book, and then we'll bring David on to talk about it a little bit. Fish Bites Cop Stories to Bash Authorities is a whole trunk of surprises. A collection of horror, dark crime, pulp, and slipstream lampoonery that gleefully rips on police officers, security guards, organized religion, firefighters, police officers, bounty hunters, dyslexic paramedics with dog complexes, police officers, military, middle management, and even more police officers. Bad cop movies are usually just bad cop movies. It's time they paid for it. Mr. Keaton, welcome back to Booked. Hello. Hey, um, so this is going to be a little weird because we're kind of going to review the book with you on the show. So we don't really have a bunch of questions. I'm sure they'll come up as we're going through. I have one question for you to kind of start off the show, though. How dare you? So, yeah, listen. So here we got all these cops and firemen (laughs) that are out serving and protecting everybody. And you you dedicate a whole goddamn book to 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 bringing them down. How, How does this happen? Uh, only recently have they been doing good in the world. It was bad timing, really. I mean, they every day it's like you run out of the building while we run in, and then there's there's a bombing, and then there's a fire, and they're it's. I'm waiting for them to do bad shit like they did about five years ago, but they've been they've been way too noble lately. So I don't know. I mean, there was never any reason for it anyway. It was all. <laughs> 
I have nothing against paramedics. That's, I picked them because <laughs> what? who could have a problem with paramedics? So I picked them to harass. So cops, I, I do I do detest police officers, actually. But the other ones, probably, they don't deserve it. Firemen, kind of. But that's just firemen in Millbury, Ohio, who <laughs> I had run-ins with, you know, 20 years ago. So it's all based on nothing. I, I can't. I can't defend it. Uh, I have to give except you credit. For, well, except for the cops, the cops thing. I, that's an inherent disgust that all normal people should have. <laughs> I, I do have to say, though, that not a lot of people are dedicating so much time and energy to to tearing down uh, first responders. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's really... That's why you answer your own question. Why would you do that? Like, what am I going to do? It's going to be, I'm going to attack child molesters because, you know, there's, they really need to be taken down a peg. There's too many people like child molesters. I mean, you can go after somebody that's, they, they didn't ask to be heroes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, spoiler alert for listeners. Uh, I'm pretty sure Rob's with this. Absolutely love this book. I don't remember the last time I laughed this much. And uh, <laughs> there's oh, a taste of it right there. That's fucking great because people seem to not think it's, supposed to be funny we had a the, the book launch party last night and um amy came up with this great idea because we did it at this karaoke bar where people are used to just being drunk and singing and she's like we'll, we'll do a reading and, and we kind of reserved the bar before it opened because they would normally open at nine so we had it for an hour and she said we'll do a reading there and i knew that would be weird because nobody usually goes up there to read it's this we're all used to seeing people stand up there and and you know, sing ACDC and shit. So she had the idea of having everybody, um, everybody else read from it. And then I didn't have to do it, which was brilliant because then I could just sit there and, and let them do all the work. And they, they picked random pages or, um, some of the more alarming pages Amy had marked for them. (laughs) And, uh, all the stuff that we thought was hilarious was just this, you know, deadly silence like are we supposed to think that's funny and the whole and i just kind of slouched lower and lower as they went because nobody was laughing because they (laughs) i guess they they thought it was this serious book and out of context any page might sound like it's supposed to be i mean it's supposed to be serious but it's also it's supposed to be fucking funny and i don't maybe you have to read the whole thing to get it but the people at the reading were just thinking oh those poor officers. <laughs> um, to so. give a quick example, this is what the the I have a bunch of quotes highlighted, but uh, one of the ones Livius and I were talking about before we called you in was, uh, "What's the story, Livius?" Uh, well, this is just bad preparation. Um, it's the one where they're at the like the strip club that's uh, in a ah. very heavily black neighborhood. Yes. And the yes. guy goes in the back room with one of the strippers, yes. and like it cuts to some other action, and then like he, when you see this character again, he's being chased out of the room by the, the stripper, and he's yelling, "No, I said you were at Enigma." <laughs> if you can't find that funny, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's the only part of that story that's not true is that line. <laughs> that's the rest of that story is a hundred percent true. Oh no! Except. My friend Jerry, who was the one who was at the strip club, he was legitimately in love when we dragged him out of there. And that 
that final little argument between them didn't happen. There was undercover police there that were roused in the place that night. That whole shit happened. The only thing that didn't happen was the... the <laughs> this is fucking horrible. The wedding that we went to where there was a girl with a deformed finger in the wedding party. That was a different night. <laughs> so those two nights I just crammed together. I thought, well... And, oh, and also we didn't steal anything from the college. So... Okay, so the last line is not true, and the um, heist of all the video equipment from school wasn't true. Everything else, 100% true. Uh. I did try to eat my phone once. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, shit, now that reminds me. I tried to eat my phone, but the guy who actually eats his phone in the story, that didn't happen. All right, there's three things that aren't true. <laughs> As I was reading this book and having talked to, to David numerous times and being friends with him online, I had a distinct feeling <laughs> that this was heavily based in reality in most cases. So, yeah, I um, feel we feel bad about the the girl with the deformed finger though because I have and I'll show you guys when I see you um, next. I have that picture. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, did, no. we did get obsessed with it and try to get a picture of it, and I did get a picture of it, and I felt bad. Oh, after. you were the cameraman. Um, I was. See, that's the beauty of fiction is I made my – I told the story as if my friend really wanted to do that. <laughs> and I blamed him for it. But I do have the picture, and we did call it the Loch Ness Monster, which was the original name of the story, actually. It went through three titles. It was called the Loch Ness Monster, and I workshopped it in, in Pit, and everybody hated it. And then I brought in the picture and was like, but it's true, which is the worst thing you could do in a workshop. And then uh, yeah, I, can I changed that. it to don't feed the shadow animals because I thought it would be <laughs> and I, the, the shadow animal thing with the deformed With hand. the hand making that, yeah, yep. And then Dark Sky took it, but only after cutting half of it. The guy's like, man, I, it was the, <laughs> the most lukewarm acceptance letter ever. He's like, um, oh, you know, there's stuff in here I like. Can I just, let's just say yes, but I don't know. <laughs> so I said, "What don't, do you want to just use parts of it?" And he goes, "I I guess." And then we had this sort of half-assed correspondence about editing it. And he goes, "Fuck it, we're just going to put it in there." <laughs> he just sort of surrendered to it. So then when I put it in the book, um, and it had to be in the book because it, it's I think it suits it. With, it's got it's got a police presence. It's got an authority presence, and. Uh, I went back to the original, the title that was suggested by my the chair of our department at Pitt, Chuck Kinder said, um, when I was workshopping it there, he said, you should call it Third Bridesmaid from the Right. He said, because it invokes masturbation, is what he said, because it makes you think about your hand. And, and I hadn't thought about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good title. But I didn't like the title at the time, but now it's come full circle. And I think it suits it better because just by having a title that's slightly more feminized, it's, I think it makes it a little more sympathetic because it's such an <laughs> offensive story. That might be just me. Well, it's like... I, I, yeah, I didn't find it offensive at all. I'm it is much sure more offensive now that I know it actually happened, I think. <laughs> all right, like, to some degree. <laughs> so you talked about deformed hands. So let, let me jump into a question because this is, this is something I was curious. You have a couple of very reoccurring... Um, there's a couple of reoccurring characters throughout these stories. Um, one of them um, has a deformed hand and his father was killed by a fireman yeah. um what can you tell us a little bit is that from a bigger piece of work or is that just a character you really like or there's yeah the the missing thumb thing is um 
isn't a lot of stories, just like I call a lot of the main characters Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's not like South Park where Jack keeps coming back to life because he he <laughs> fares better in some stories than he does in others. Mm-hmm. But it's um basically I'm using Jack because I don't want to name them, and it's it sounds more like a verb. So Jack is a way of not naming a character, and the the no thumb thing is um. This was in my first nonfiction workshop. I, uh, I was having a tough time writing nonfiction because my fiction was so, you know, crawling with nonfiction. So to try to make, to try to actually just write nonfiction, I found it impossible. So my uh, solution was to just write stor- stories about personal experience, but just claim that I didn't have a thumb. And I know that doesn't make much sense, but in the class, it made, it made perfect sense. And then actually the first couple things I workshopped, somebody in the workshop was like, can you just hold up your hands real quick? And I hold them up and they're like, we, I don't understand you, you have your thumbs. And I said, well, that's, it's my way of getting one fiction thing in there that I can, I don't know, it, it like the floodgates open once I pretended like I didn't have thumbs. And then for a while, that just kept ending up in other stories because I just like the idea that if you remove the thumb from the character, um, there's just a lot more you can do with it. Rob, what did but, I ask you yesterday? Livius is like, do we know if Keaton's got any weird, like anything wrong with his hands or something? <laughs> that's, along what I asked him. <laughs> that's what happened in class. <laughs> you planted enough of a seed where we were like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think he's got good hands. I think he's, yeah. I'm picturing you at the reading of the Billy Goat Tavern doing bad hand acting, and I'm like, no, he has all he has all his digits. I know he does. So convincing. So, Rob, let's. Uh, we already talked about one story a little bit. Um, you want to talk about one of your standout stories? All right, yeah. I'm just gonna go through kind of in a random-ish order. One of the things that I one of the, I think one of the things I like best about um, Keaton's stories, and this is weird because you're on the call, so. Mm-hmm. It's weird referring to you when you're here, but is when the uh, protagonist, or at least someone in the story, is like hugely antagonistic towards people. And so, a couple of stories that really I I dug, uh, and that actually ended up being my top three in here, were uh, had had main characters that were just like really antagonistic towards people. Uh, so I'm going to start with <clears throat> the living shit or mosquito bites was one that I really dug, where essentially. <laughs> It's a guy who's an ex-con who finds out that uh, uh, his girlfriend sleeping with some dude and, and uh, he goes and gets revenge. And um, the living shit, it sounds like a really weird story title until in the story you get to the part where he, he reflects on talking about beating the living shit out of someone. And it's just, it's a great moment. <laughs> one of my uh, one of my quotes that I was going to hold off on until later, I think, really expresses, and the kind of craziness when you get that angry, it's, it's from that story. I asked him how long it was going on, if it was while I was inside, but he was long past answering. Then I started saying dumb shit like, do you have a girlfriend I can fuck? Or what's your cat's <laughs> name? Tell me your cat's name or I'll kill you. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't have a cat, right? He had a dog in the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a small little dog. That's <laughs> So yeah. great, but yeah, that kind of crazy, insane stuff that, that can get through your mind when you're that riled up. I actually have a quote from that story, too, which is just, so I started hating this kid so hard I got blood on the dog. Yep. That's good stuff. That was, that's total fiction. 
got, I got blood on the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is probably going to be the best episode of Booked ever. <laughs> I am. Um, but see, here's what just happened. So I already had trouble picking three. I told Rob I was going to four. As I'm looking through the list and listening to you talk, I found a different one. I'm trying to replace it. And now, like, after hearing this, this is one of my favorite stories. Yeah, the, that was the original title, Living Shit. And then um, uh, when I got it, I put it in Pulp Modern. Um, Alex Cezak accepted it. But he didn't like the title. He liked, uh, so I Mosquito Bites was more on the nose, you know. Mm-hmm. And it fit the whole kind of CD thing, like if the guy was a drug addict, and pick, picking at a bite on your arm, like the Flaming Lips song. But I've always liked living shit. Like Rob said, that um, just the though that phrase is just fascinating. Yeah, dude. Uh, like so. the whole, yeah, the whole, that's the way that you approach it. And it's in the heat of this, like, you know, attack that he just kind of like reflects on it. That's, it's a perfect title for the story. I'm glad it came. That's what I was able to do with a lot of these. Is um, we just went back to original titles. Well, and that's the great part of it. And I recently, it's a story I read recently too that the the title didn't make any sense to me until I read the story, and then I was like, that title is goddamn brilliant. So a title, I don't know. Sometimes you think you want a title that to to perfectly represent your story or to draw somebody in, but I almost think it's better when you can discover the title inside the story, and it and it then makes perfect sense. So yeah, the living shit is a title anybody's gonna look at and go, "What the hell is this about?" It sounds dumb, but once yeah, once you read the story, it's the delivery is there. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because that's the that's the basis of the entire collection. The mm-hmm. title of the the title story, and the title of the book is one of those titles where mm-hmm. it was switched. And now it becomes a thing where, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then when you discover what it means, hopefully you've gotten to the end. It happens at the end. <laughs> and it's, um, it's a swapping of headlines. Yeah. The original, in the original version of the story, the last story, Nine Cops Killed for a Goldfish Cracker, the original headline, that was the headline, and the story was called Fish Bites Cop. And then I just did a swap. And I actually felt good about that swap because that ends up the name of this book, and it wouldn't fit... That's the only one that didn't go back to its original title, and that's why it becomes the title of the book. So it all m- makes a lot of sense in my head. <laughs> I think <laughs> we're going to be funny. talking about a lot of things that make a lot of sense in your head. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk just a little bit about um, what I believe is the shortest story in this collection, which is <laughs> Don't Waste It Whistling or Coulda, Shoulda, Woulda. Oh, yeah. More Barnes & Noble stories. <laughs> <laughs> The story is maybe three pages long, and basically it's a guy explaining to HR a comment <laughs> that he made to one of his female coworkers as she was passing by. Yeah. And, and what what makes the story brilliant is the comment, which they never the the book never or the story never really disclosed what the exact comment is, but it has to be something like I I would eat her ass for days or something along those lines. Um, but now knowing it's a Barnes and Noble story, we may be able to find out what the mystery line actually was. It's yeah, it's something like that. It was uh, we were like literally standing in a dumpster. We couldn't have been more <laughs> more pieces of shit than we were at that moment. And we were having a conversation. <laughs> I think it was uh, who the fuck was that? That was Justin. Uh, me and Justin were breaking down boxes and. Um, the girl was taking boxes out and heard us talking and told on us. So we had to like explain ourselves. Um, but it became this whole 
discussion of whistling and your mouths and why construction workers whistle at women with their, you know, that's kind of my, uh, like, uh, Burroughs moment with the, you ever read, uh, making lunch with the, the guys, uh, that the guy starts talking out of his asshole, his mouth seals up, and <laughs> he talks out of his ass instead. It's a story that one of the characters tells in the movie, but it's like this little self-contained fable. And that's kind of what that is about the, your tongue pushing against the back of your teeth. And what it should be doing is not whistling because that's a waste of its time. And what it should be doing is, you know, obviously the, <laughs> the, what the guys were talking about. But anyway, that's a story that uh, that's how I um, courted my wife, actually. <laughs> she when I first met her, um, she was doing she was the MC at the readings at Pitt. And the reading I did, I read that story because me and this other guy, uh, Sal Payne, were trying to one up each other with these various graphic stories. And that one I actually did with a um, I like a. Uh, illustrations like at the end of it i draw that picture you know how it describes a picture of a spider that stepped on or a baseball yeah if you draw it it looks like it's a head between someone's legs and i i draw that picture while i'm reading that story and then when i'm done i reveal it and everybody's like oh jesus christ (laughs) so that was the uh that's how i made the made her swoon I uh, I believe I now owe Rob um, ten bucks because I bet uh, that you were driving around following a cop in a car for three days. Was was my bet to uh, <laughs> like the first date to how you guys hooked up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that other incident did happen, but I was in a car by myself. <laughs> oh, um, one one more thing from I have. I, I can't do it. I just can't do it with a straight face. I have probably a. 30 line paragraph from that story marked as a quote (laughs) and I just can't do it but there's a part in there where you say that you describe being behind this woman that you'd be closer to her than she is to herself or something along those lines which is just a damn genius oh Uh, yeah Yeah. that's um trivia with that story is uh, it was in punch knolls is that how you pronounce that? Punchnells? Um, yeah, one of those. Punchnells. Um, they have a lot of great stuff on there. And actually, Frank Bill uh, clued me into them and suggested submitting. And uh, it was a Ken Honeywell, I think he's the editor. And they accepted it a long time ago. And then the other editors, um, I don't know if I'm disclosing stuff I shouldn't, told him that they didn't want to put it on their site, that it was too graphic, that they would have to make some sort of edits. Which hearing that after the fact, you just think, oh, that's not, that's not what I signed on for. But, you know, it's your, it's your house. Maybe we'll fix it. And then they just put it off and put it off. And then finally, uh, uh, Ken sent me an email and says, we're running it as is, which was a huge relief. Um, and they'd already sent me, uh, PayPal'd me. So they, it's not like I was going to lose anything if they never did it. They'd already given me their, their little payment. But um, it was just such a relief that they left it up as graphic as it is, because I mean that's what they that's what they bought, you know. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it, it is a little harsh for. They have some edgier content, but that one's uh, more overt about what it's doing. Just they put an illustration of a little kid whistling, which is which was odd. 
<laughs> we have uh, little quick, like one line descriptions of the stories in a big list so that we can kind of remember what they are. And Livius, um, Livius's little one line description of the, that story was ass eating talk by a dumpster. <laughs> dumpster implying a trash dumpster, not the other way you could read that. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a. It's a blurb. He'd sell it as a movie in the big meeting. <laughs> we, oh yeah, some sometimes are. Oh, all right, but this this isn't one I was going to talk about. But uh, the ball pit. Um, uh, my my quick synopsis of that story is the boner zombie apocalypse, spiders, and creepy dead kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one's uh, that one's just based on the opening scene of um, we're watching Walking Dead. And yep. Uh huh. Yeah. That's what it made mo- me think of. Yeah. Yeah. The opening moment when he faces a little kid, and um, uh, Amy and I are watching it, and we thought, and I, I think I said to her, that if he wouldn't have shot that kid, that would be amazing. If that was a problem, that, that that's all that would be left. Everyone, <laughs> everyone would shoot every person, but they would always hesitate to shoot a child. So that means in an actual zombie apocalypse, the only thing that would be around would be children. Somebody that you wouldn't have the guts to shoot, and that maybe they wouldn't be such a hazard; they'd just be this nuisance. Um, that's where it came from. Like, <laughs> what if, what if he couldn't have pulled the trigger? And right when I was thinking it and starting to talk about this is going to be the greatest show because that's what would happen. He shoots the kid, and then The Walking Dead proceeds to be as average as we thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I made it. Ex- you know, they, they thought they were being edgy. They thought he's got we got the guts to kill a kid in the first shot of the show, and it's like. We never thought he, he wasn't going. To. We <laughs> hoped that he wasn't because that would have been a lot more interesting. Because you would have you would have thought about it as much as we did. So, but yeah, that's the basis of it. And then, of course, the Brazilian uh, wandering spider. That is true. That is what it does. If it bites you, it causes that ailment. That's pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, second, the next story I want to talk about really quickly. That was one of my favorites. Is greenhorns uh and i mean i have to imagine and i know a little bit about your past but weren't you yeah i know that you did uh captioning as a as a profession for a while and i think you did it for the deadliest catch so i'm assuming there was a little bit of inspiration from there right because it's essentially like a uh, a story about like one of these fishing boats then there's a a couple of uh, or a group of new new people which are the greenhorns right that's what they're right and um as the story goes along, uh, it turns out that it's not crabs they're fishing for. So, uh, yeah, something else entirely. It is a that is an unabashed love letter to Deadliest Catch, and that's because it's. I I talk about this every chance I get when I'm talking about reality shows, and even tonight I we tried to watch uh, one of those Hell's Kitchen bullshit shows, and they're also ridiculously fake. But when I worked in captioning, and captioned so many of these. Um, I can tell you with 100% certainty, Deadliest Catch is the only one. There aren't any other reality shows that are actually showing you anything that's going on. And I know this because I would watch them put in sound effects later. I'd wa- we'd have to change things later. We would have to um, do unsweetened versions of the episodes where they have not added the drama yet, where they have not added the slamming doors and the fake uh, reaction shots. And it's all fucking fake, except deadliest catch so i was just in love with this show and i was always requesting 
to caption it, but because I loved it so much, I was actually really bad at captioning it. You're, <laughs> you're only a good captioner if you can do it like a machine. And I was so into it, you know, I'd want to, I'd sort of try to set up my um, captioning duties to not ruin stuff. Like if you're captioning a show, you have to, you know, they introduce a new recruit, you have to find his name. And then you have to make sure you spell it right, obviously, in your caption. The problem is, as soon as you research it, you find out everything that happens. Because you have to go to the, the authorized sources, which are uh, Discovery Channel's bios or plot synopsis on Discovery Channel. Or um, IMDB was one that we thought was valid. And they reveal everything. So I would think, I don't want to know what happens till I get to that episode so i would just make these lists of i'm gonna get i'll fix all this later but i gotta i don't want to ruin it <laughs> that's a terrible way to work because then you're you're not doing your job anymore and so i would get feedback on the deadliest catch like you know dave we're gonna take you off this show unless you can um you know your stuff slipping through and quality control is catching it but they're having to catch more than than normal and it's like no please that's <laughs> the only thing I live for. So, so that was, yeah, that's a big love letter to deadliest catch. And it's all, um, all the terms it's, it's as accurate as, well, even though I just admitted my shows weren't that accurate, it's as accurate as a carefully researched episode. So all the terminology is consistent and, um, stuff where I had to talk to editors about, uh, no, that is what it, that's what they call it. It's called that. And because I spent years pretty much working for that show. In a way, you know, the company I worked for was contracted by Discovery Channel. So I worked on that show at the very end of the process. So I could tell you anything about it. Um, and actually, if you buy the DVDs, uh, our company's uh, um, in the credits and were sort of immortalized there. And they should be 99.99% accurate was our, our famed accuracy <laughs> rating, which would have been 100% if I wouldn't have been so into it. <laughs> they were 100% until you found a love for Deadliest Sketch, which I've never seen. I've never seen the show. I know what it is. I've just never seen it. Which, uh, yeah, it's, it's crab fishing, but it, re- it has total confidence in the drama of the situation. It's an interesting enough career that all you have to do is film it. These other shows, they have no confidence, so they have to fake the drama. That one, they just film a bunch of guys fishing, which is action-packed. I'm glad you liked that story, because that's one of my favorites, seriously. Yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites in the collection. It, it just And I, and you had spoken about it earlier uh, uh, when you were on the podcast before, and um, so I knew what I was kind of getting into, but I'm yeah, I really dug it. Yeah, it's one of those ones that came out almost immediately and survived pretty much unchanged. I changed the tense um, to present tense and maybe back again, or I think it ends up in present tense. That's about the most rewriting it needed because it was, I'd already been thinking about that situation and had been so fascinated with the show that it, that's probably a good example of what happens if you research your writing. That's what I, I did <laughs> accidentally. I accidentally researched that story for years. But didn't intend to, you know what I mean? I think that unintentionally, um, we've started on a little bit of theme here. So we start with the ball pit, which had like this great concept to it, you know, not really reality based, but this concept of children zombies. And then we moved into this 
which I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a big conceptual jump from a lot of your other stuff, which is really kind of crimey and um, um, prankstery almost. But um, one of my other favorite stories that I had some kind of questions on where this came from was Queen Excluder. So for, oh. for listeners or anybody who hasn't um, read this story yet, the concept is this prison gets built in this town and somehow prisoners start getting phones and what they use these phones for is not to commit further crimes but to call residents in the town like repeatedly all the time it's like a weird twilight zone episode if the twilight episode like wasn't very sci-fi if it was more of a weird horror kind of story it's like the creepy zone yeah yeah that's um if greenhorns is one of my favorites the queen excluder is is not only my favorite short story, it's almost a novella. It's pretty long. Mm-hmm. And it was even longer in its original form. Um, but it's one of my biggest disappointments. Like, no one, it, it never found a home. I'm so glad it's in this thing. It's in dead center in the collection. We made sure that it would be the centerpiece of it. Even though I don't, I was, I'd still be surprised if, if uh, well, I'm glad you liked it because. Nobody. It never really connects with anybody. I think it might be the length. It might be that I was too into it, and I was too. Um, I, it's kind of. I don't know. I don't know. It's. It's never satisfied anyone as much as I hoped it would, and I was obsessed with the bees for the longest time, <laughs> with the the colony collapse disorder, and only recently they figured out what was happening with the bees. But while. It was a mystery that one of the theories thrown around was that cell phones were causing bees colonies to collapse. And I thought for sure that I was going to like blow the lid off of it. Like cell phones and prisons and bees. It's like, it's all here. You know, I've, I've solved something. And I've also written this thing and, and it just never, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, that story was an obsession of mine for the longest time. And there's, I also researched that with the, the cell phone stuff that so that was an actual problem this prison described in um south america where that actually happened that was the that was the news report that i read <laughs> that um springboarded the story because and i thought well, like this is the, the bees and the phones and, and if you'll notice there's there's fucking bees and phones and half these things <laughs> they're all through the story it's like I, keep, <laughs> I can't keep bees and phones out of phones are as much of a villain as anything but anyway, I'm glad that that one um, made it on your uh, your notable list because nobody wanted it. You know, I'd send it out and um, it just nothing but silence or um, rejection for three years. I think I've been working on it for since 2009. I kicked that story around and it was originally called Excluder, and um, which I thought was good. But then I read somewhere one word titles are the worst don't ever use a one word title it's not memorable and uh we'll have to ask richard thomas about that i don't think he's <laughs> yeah. ever done anything with more than a one word title they're they're intoxicating i can see why he'd do that because you you want to do it you want it to be so impressive like all i need is one word but this one uh this one one of my professors who showed no interest in my work uh this was the only time she ever piped up as she said um when i toyed with the idea of calling it Queen Excluder, she said, it's a better title than just one word. And I said, oh, so you like that title? No, two words are better than that. <laughs> this, this is that a writing it. class. This is a math class. I'm telling you, two better <laughs> yeah. than one. That was it. That was the only, that's the only good advice she ever gave me. <laughs> Worst professor ever. 
Wow. So, yeah, thanks. I'll tell you the first time. So the, the story starts out and it's this family and, you know, there's like this weird thing going on where they're getting phone calls and the father's like guarding the phone. And uh, the first time you hear a prisoner, you know, do you hear what's coming through the other end of the phone? It really kind of scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I, I did. I got I got like chills reading it and I was like, holy crap, <laughs> like, it's just bizarre. But yeah, very, very enjoyable story. And I think that maybe the problem is not to analyze why you had problem getting uh, trouble getting it published. But no, I'd love to figure that out. It's it, it, it has, it's no genre. It's kind of almost science fiction. It's not really crime. It's not really horror. It's just it's like a genre less story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, anything Jonathan Latham has ever written, basically. Like, yeah, kind of magic realism, but not really. Kind of crime, but not really. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't really fit a particular mold. It has elements of a lot of different things, but I, it, it's. I guess part of the problem is you know someone who's publishing they publish something they they have their themes that they publish under. I think if you got people to just read the story for just being a story without it needing a home to be fit in, I think more people would appreciate it. Yeah, I considered doing one of those Kindle singles at one time. I thought this. I hate that this thing languishes. And no one's ever going to see it. Um, but then when uh, I got the deal to put this book out, I thought it's going to be it's going to be the main thing about this book. It's going to it's going to be the the heart of it because I, that's what I feel when you say genre list. That's exactly how I feel. Is that it's that's indicative of what either my problem is or what the, it's the only thing that I'm ever going to do. I don't know, but that that story is. I, I, it feels to me like the, the heart of it. And it's the authority in that story, I think, is even more um, of what I'm going for, which is um, not specifically, you know, fuck cops, although that's there's plenty of that. <laughs> instead, more of that. That's the kind of authority bashing that requires some thought, you know, and that's I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just glad that anybody will finally read that story for the work I put into it and I because it's more literary than most of them I aimed as high as I could and you know and then eventually even even when I thought all right I'll settle for I'll let you publish it those people still didn't want it (laughs) so that's got to be more disappointing because you put more effort than you typically would into it yeah and you're not getting the returns you think it deserves yeah, and even friends of mine who have bought this book, um, you know, who've given me great feedback over the over the years, uh, at least a couple of them has, have said, "Yeah, I'm not going to read that one. I got a, I got enough of that one in the workshop." <laughs> <'Cause> they, <laughs> they suffered through that thing and so many variations of it. I'm sure they were sick of it, like, "Oh fuck, Dave's B story. This <laughs> fucking B epic. We haven't seen enough of this shit." And the did you guys get the joke of the, the? Uh, this is a really kind of shitty uh, inside joke, but the, the quote, the epigraph at the beginning, the. Um, oh, the. Uh, um, if yeah. Bees, if bees vanish from Earth, the human mm. race would only have five years to live, which is attributed to Einstein. Um, but then when I researched it, I realized that that's bullshit, that he never said that. Um, I think they have it in the movie The Happening. Marky Mark. Oh, no. Yeah, he writes it on the chalkboard. This was after I had written the story, of course. But he had written, he writes that quote on the chalkboard and then attributes it to Einstein. Well, Einstein never said it. 
So you'll notice in my story, it's Larry Einstein says it, just some guy named Einstein. And his initials are L-I-E, which is the biggest groaner in the entire fucking book. Wow. So Larry Irwin Einstein is who I attribute the quote to because it's bullshit that Einstein said it. And that's an example of why no one likes this story because it's too in my head and it's only for myself. Oh, that's good stuff. That makes the story so much better. <laughs> Einstein, Larry Irwin. No, I didn't even catch that. Very good. <laughs> I just went to the page the page on my iPad. Uh, all right. The final of my three stories that I thought were standout, or at least that I wanted to talk about. Um, again, back to having kind of an antagonist uh, as the person we're focusing on was castrating firemen. And I just see this kind of as a fun romp where uh, essentially, if I remember correctly, uh, this guy um, is in his car and he sees a fire, some sort of fire vehicle, but obviously a volunteer Yes. Um, with his lights on, kind of speed through an intersection or something like that. And uh, it seems like he just kind of randomly chooses to follow the guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he realized that the guy wasn't, like, going to a fire. He was just going home. Yes. And then <laughs> it's like the street full of, of firefighters. It's like like the t- like the street that all the firefighters live on or whatever. And And he takes the opportunity to just, like, not only mess with all the firefighters like vehicles and everything but then like just totally go after this one dude and it was just incredible yeah that's uh well yeah he had the the guy had the truck nuts those yeah. testicles <laughs> so his mission is to castrate all the trucks <laughs> dude, and it's the little things that make that that make some of these stories great he throws them at the guys <laughs> he's got all these these horrible truck testicles and he just throws them at the source of his aggravation yeah, that's the. It's just great because like, this guy is just for whatever reason completely fed up with these fire firefighters and just goes after them and and he just picks this one guy who he saw, and he cuts off all these truck nuts and throws them at the guy and it just like starts like, just terrorizing the guy in his own yard. It's yeah, wonderful. that's kind of the, that's the world according to Garp moment when he catches the guy who's been running stop signs. <laughs> But that one, um, I feel like I told you guys about this before, about the, the volunteer fireman who wasn't going to a fire. Or maybe I just talk <laughs> about it too much. But that, uh, that, that actually happened in high school. There was a, we lived right next to a fire hall in Millbury, Ohio. And there was, a, there was a guy who was just you know on my ass, honking and swerving in a big 4x4 four four with the volunteer fireman uh, light on it. You know, like motion for me to get the fuck out of his way and, the whole time I was thinking, God damn, there better be a fucking fire. And, the, and so I let him get by me, pull over, and then I'm just kind of feeling shitty about it. Like, here's just a, a civilian who just made me pull over so he could go past me. And it just felt like I'd been violated in some way. So I thought, I'm going to the fire hall, and I'm going to see if that truck's there. Like, yeah, I bet he just wanted to get to the fire hall, which is not the equivalent of going to a fire. Even though, I don't know, maybe that's what they do. Maybe they do go to the fire hall and get in the truck. And At the time, I just thought that would be proof if I saw his truck there. So I go to the fire hall, which is only about another uh, five, six blocks away. Because this was always happening to me over by my house. And um, his truck's there. And he's standing in the parking lot with somebody else drinking a cup of coffee out of a thermos. And so I pulled pulled in and I was like, where's the fire? (laughs) Because I'd been planning that for five blocks. Where's the fire? 
And uh, he's like, what? And I was like, well, you're in such a fucking hurry. And he's like, you want to get out of your car and say that? And I said, nope. And then drove home. <laughs> and, and I thought about it the whole time. Like, that's all they do is they just want to get past you because they're in a hurry. And it's such a such a uh, abuse of power. And uh, blah. so anyway, that's what that story is based on. <laughs> so in my mind, they all have swinging fake testicles hanging from the backs of their pickups. And they, they need to be gelded. They need to be trimmed so that it doesn't make any more trucks. <laughs> <laughs> more trucks. Uh, All right, I can stuff. probably because, as like I said, the longer we talk, the more I, I, there's more stories that I, I want to talk about as standout stories. So I mean, there's you know life expectancy in a trunk. Oh, uh, let me real real quick. This mm-hmm. this is kind of notable. The the castrating fireman. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first publication online, and or or anywhere, and they fucked it up and they called it celebrating firemen. No, <laughs> if you. Honestly, if you go to it right now, if you Google it, they've corrected the title on the title, but the, the HRL or whatever the fuck you call it, HML, um, <laughs> you can tell I use computers, the HML uh, address still says Celebrating Firemen. Still, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think is suitable punishment for me. I yep, there it is. Crookedwebzine.blogspot.com. Celebrating Firemen by yep. David James King. I deserve that. I, that's my punishment. My punishment for attacking first responders that don't deserve it. <laughs> well, they at least that in, one they, volunteer guy did. They run in when we run out. Is all I'm saying. And they don't ask to be heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Without an ounce of sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> so there's there's that we talked about a little bit about the um, what winds up becoming the title story in, in some way, nine cops killed for a goldfish cracker, which is excellent. Let me go a different direction. Tell me a little bit about three ways without water or the day roadkill drunk driving and the electric chair were invented. Oh, the, that's the only Western in there. Yep. Um, that is a, that's a distilled screenplay. Basically it, um, it was my attempt to write a, a Western movie. Um, that didn't really go anywhere. And then I didn't want it to go to waste, so I found one of the scenes that I thought summed it up and tried to turn it into a short story. And that's kind of what came out of the bottom of the, the, bottom of the filter. It was um, me and my dad wrote it, the screenplay. Uh, well, he, came, he would come up with the ideas, and then I would write them down. We did that with a prison movie. We did a prison movie first called Brick House which I entered into Project Greenlight, which didn't win. And that was distilled into Schrodinger's Rat. And then um, based on the song uh, Big Iron by um, Marty Robbins, um, which my dad always loved that song. You play that song constantly. And then Johnny Cash had a cover of it, you know, which is just enough to remind us about the old song. And it came back into our minds. So we played the shit out of the Johnny Cash cover. And uh, that's if you've listened to the song, it's all those characters are in that story. Red is the the villain in the Marty Robbins song, and the Ranger. Um, so it's the song's and um, has its own contained story. So this was a real twisted version of it. Me and my dad thought, let's if we were to expand that into a movie and have you know we need to make this we need to give them all backgrounds and and 
but the more we thought about it, I just kept getting caught up in the the idea of what would happen if you had a town that ran out of water and how long people would last. And if they were just drinking alcohol, would they become flammable? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so my, my poor dad was just getting frustrated, trying to have the straight Western. And I'm like, yeah, but eventually people would start catching on fire. And <laughs> and uh, what if there was this, this... And I got obsessed with the preacher, and the preacher became the main character of it to me. And uh, I'm not sure he was totally satisfied with our final screenplay, but I got it. I sent it around, and I, at the time, I, I still hadn't learned how long a screenplay was supposed to be. And there was a... Um, a producer wanted to look at the whole thing. They liked the synopsis, and then they asked for the for um, parts of it, or what is it? it? Starts with synopsis, and then the treatment, and then the they wanted the screenplay. And they were they seemed to be in a hurry to look at it, and said, "Well, can you just send it to us, and we'll print it out here? Don't bother mailing it to us. We're really interested." This is also Ryan Reynolds uh, was mm-hmm. involved. It's I don't know if he was his agent was talking to this producer but that's what they threw in front of me like you know we're really interested in this story so <laughs> this is just a fucking crushing blow so I'm thinking Ryan Reynolds is gonna be in my western dad we're gonna be rich <laughs> I get <laughs> I get this uh, call they're like um have you written a screenplay before and I said <laughs> uh, uh yeah I, well, I did a couple of them it, what's the deal he goes well we're printing it out right now I said oh that's cool. He's like, we're still printing it out. We've been printing it out since you sent it, and it's on like page 160. Do you know how long the screenplay is supposed to be? I said, uh, 160 pages. <laughs> I said, we're we're sorry. There's too much work that would have to be done to get this to be the right size, and that was it. And I was like, oh, I fucked that up. <laughs> but I don't know what the, if it was necessary to shame me with that. Uh, it's still printing. Six hours later, and it's still printing. I mean, come on, dude. That's you know, excessive. Sure they a, yeah, they got a big laugh out of it. Like, I'm sure they're standing there next to the printer thinking, look at this amateur. At once, you got to page 100, and it enters act three. <laughs> but I still maintain it's exactly as long as it needs to be. <laughs> and that's, but that story is the, um, is a chunk of it, is a chunk of that screenplay, which I'm going to, to eventually turn into a novel because there's just too much there to go to waste and converting a screenplay into a novel is uh, ends up with a story like that one where it's very lean it's obviously it's all in present tense because that's how you write a screenplay and it be, and it gets this sort of lean um, it, it eliminates the the kind of uh, problems that, that fiction has going into a screenplay which is all your exposition and all your you know all that cumbersome prose so you end up with stories like that western which is essentially dialogue and you know noon uh, aquafria arizona you know descriptions like that which would be in your screenplay so anyway long story short that's the three ways without <laughs> which they made a mistake when they published it and called it three days without water and i had to correct them and i honestly still don't know what that title means I think it means like three ways to die without water. Right. That's what I got from it because it was mentioned in the story that there are um, three ways to die. Yeah, that was added later. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I See, I forgot that. <laughs> two the, things uh, we know about you. There is no final version of a story. Right. There's no such thing. 
And apparently we found tonight is that you're also really big into recycling. Yeah, so if you well, have a screenplay, it can become four stories or, you know. Yeah. Well, the only the, the prison and the, the prison one in the Western. Um, well, that's not true. Actually, there's a third one. But I wouldn't say recycling. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm try, there, there's an organ in the fucking cooler. I'm trying to get it to another body. I'm trying to keep, <laughs> somebody should benefit from this organ. Even if the person doesn't, you know, or something. That that would look better on the page if I had time to work on that allegory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I think we're, we're good at talking about stories. Uh, there, there's no way we're going to get through this without throwing out some quotes. Uh, Livius, you want to kick it off or should I? Um, yeah, this I'll do it. Um, this quote is, again, it's like a concept. So I, I'm pretty sure, and I know he's on the podcast. I'm going to talk about him in third person for a second. I'm pretty sure that through reading this collection, I've decided that David James Keaton is just batshit fucking crazy, that his head has got to be like the scariest place in the world to live. And, and here's, here's one of the quotes to support that. A uh, guy's talking about uh, he's going into he's why he didn't consider going into school to shoot some some people up. He does some other things, but this is why he didn't decide to just go on a rampage shooting. An unfortunately uh, timely excerpt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this was never a serious consideration anymore after I read the news about a neighboring town where some little bastard screeched into the parking lot, popped his collar, cocked his weapon, then headed for the worst memories of his high school cafeteria only to hear screams and gunshots from inside and realize some other fucker had already started a rampage. Uh, ex- Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent quote. That was going to be the first one that I read. Oh, my God, really? Um, yeah. Sorry. Because it's just such a brilliant idea mm-hmm. that, like, <laughs> someone I, beat hey, you to your, like, high school shooting. Yeah, and can I just say that the onion fucking ripped me off? I have, um, luckily, that <laughs> that ran in plots with guns, uh, when was that 2010 because it was a it was a notable story in story south or whatever 2010 um this year the onion ran um a parody about somebody that goes to an office to shoot everybody and everybody there is already starting their own ra- office <laughs> rampage so i fucking scooped them finally i got proof proof of scoop that's that pretty awesome my, that was my goddamn idea so i just wanted to say that in case anybody reads the onion article check the dates that's all I say. My idea, they stole it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The uh, the follow-up quote that I liked from that was, because uh, this was like the killing coaches one, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just a really quick line was, once upon a time it was a coach who brought the first gun into a school. Don't fucking forget it. They started it. I like that a lot. Yeah, starter pistols. That's right. What a great idea that was. <laughs> um there are actually I, there are probably like three or four three or four quotes from from that story that were just great and here's the problem some of them like i didn't know when to stop highlighting because some of them are are just like these long rants so i'm gonna i'm gonna try this one um this one is from uh, life expectancy in a trunk <laughs> which is one long long rant i think <laughs> yeah. um about about dog the bounty hunter right I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's who this is. About, yeah, so. Uh, so he's talking about, how, you know, what a wussy dog the bounty hunter and his whole posse is, although it was named Cat the Bounty Hunter, wasn't it? Wasn't that the... Cat, cat yeah. the Skip Tracer. That's what it was, Cat <laughs> the Skip Tracer. To, to avoid lawsuits. Yeah. So, 
the antagonist in this story because he's really not a protagonist. He's just there antagonizing this cop. He's he's saying what would happen if Cat the, the skip tracer was after him. Uh, let me let the motorcycle gang ride by the by the house. <laughs> So let's say they catch me getting some groceries instead. What do I do? Well, I get in my car and lock the doors. What are they going to do with me then? Smash my windows? That's illegal, Jack. You know what happens when you do that. They shot a shotgun blast to the face. Praise Jesus. They'd probably just yell at me in their best intimidating made-for-TV voices, though. And I'd start reading a book, put, put the driver's seat back. They would have to stop filming because it would make for bad television. They would probably turn off the cameras and plead with me to come out. Maybe sign a waiver. <laughs> God damn it. And please make them look less incompetent. I would then shit on the dashboard and draw pictures of them on the windshield. The likeliness would be uncanny. Yeah, I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> He's the worst of all worlds. He is the perfect storm of everything. No, no you disgusting. didn't you didn't have to caption that show, did you? I did. <laughs> I did, of course. He was. He actually came to do a book signing in Barnes and Noble, and uh, I had all these plans to like go up and get him to sign a copy of that story, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, I didn't. I didn't do it or whatever. But yeah, that it's ba- that whole thing is just an excuse to yell at Dog the Bounty Hunter. That's um, <laughs> Todd Robinson, the thug lit guy, uh, picked that up. Long time ago, that was like 2009, I think. But uh, so he he also shares my disgust for Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> uh, this this quote that I want to do is from the Bait Car Bruise yep. story, uh, and and it's essentially there's a couple characters uh, talking, and and someone a, a, a girl had been sending pictures, um, which they they talked to about like chicken like a chicken baby. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, like they're making fun of this like premature baby photos that she's sending, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. Yes. Out of con- out of context, that sounds cruel, but <laughs> in context, not that much less cruel. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the 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 line that I thought was just emphasizes the cruelty. Really, is uh, what name it? She doesn't even know what it is. Look at that picture. You don't name something like that. You number it. Then you write down something on your clipboard to indicate the experiment has gone wrong. I had that exact same line. Oh my god. <laughs> that fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, this isn't so much a quote as a great concept. Uh, the story is uh, Friction Ridge or Beguiling the Bard in Three Acts, which is written um, like a play. <laughs> These two kind of bumbling cops are, are following this this suspect and they're trying to get his fingerprints on something. <laughs> the first cop says to the other cop, who's named Bastard, by the way. That was interesting. The first cop and Bastard. Um, did, did he just do what I think he... And the other guy says, yes, he just put on some sunglasses with his elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking genius. That's how you thwart him. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's you guys. You guys read it a lot of Shakespeare. Nope. There's always, nope. Well, there's always the the bastard. You know, there's always the the, the jilted bastard son that wants revenge, and um, so for the the Shakespeare adaptation, that's supposed to be, you know, it's uh, it's just an excuse to call the cop a bastard. They just says something <laughs> about, says something about his dad, and then doing it as a play, that means that you can 
that's what's great about a play is you can constantly be insulting someone just by what you choose to call them because they're not saying it and it's not existing in the universe of the play. Mm-hmm. But the, the name of that, you know, when you that dialogue tag is bastard, bastard, bastard. <laughs> but he's not, it's not actually out loud. Does that make any sense? Yes. Oh, no, I actually, believe me, I caught that when I was reading it, that there are no actual names used. It's just you chose to call him a bastard. <laughs> yeah, he was, because you, you have to label him, and in a play, it's all caps, dead center in the page, bastard, bastard. Are those all, are those all 160 pages, too? What's that now? Plays? Are plays all 160 <laughs> pages, just too, or is that just screenplays? No, that one is exactly as long as it ended up. That was... um. If you read it, if you if you like a lot of Shakespeare, it's there's references to Henry V, much to do about nothing, um, Hamlet, of course, uh, the Tempest. Although the Tempest is that's probably the cheapest uh, references. It's the Tempest video game, which smokes and catch, sets off the fire extinct or the uh, sprinklers, which of course imitates an actual tempest. So that was about the that's about the cheapest uh, joke in it, but. But like the tennis balls from Henry V, much ado about nothing. The girl's name is Hero, so there's a hero sandwich. Um, and then they talk about it's pronounced gyro, but that's all references to much ado about nothing. And the um, Hamlet with the play is the thing to catch the conscience of the king. Instead of a play, there's a, a game of Twister that's being witnessed. And then there's a reference to uh, the Odyssey, which doesn't fit, but then they joke about it. They're like, this doesn't belong in here because this is a reference to Homer and not Shakespeare. <laughs> so it's just a big Shakespeare jerk-off fest. <laughs> All right, this this one quote that I want to throw out is from the Nine Cops, uh, hang on, is from the Nine Cops Killed for a Goldfish Cracker uh, story that ends out the collection. And um, amidst all the chaos, it's just hilarious. Jack passes a priest locking up a church Sunday morning already, he punches him in the face on the way by, a, t- a tenderizer right hook, where his smile used to be. Why the priest wails from the sidewalk? Because it's the nicest thing I've done all day, Daddy. I mean, Father. <laughs> Punching a priest was the nicest thing he did all day. I just really, I, I dug that. Yeah. Then the, does he punch a nun? Or no, the, he thinks about that joke. You've heard the old yeah. Batman joke? <laughs> <laughs> Some drunk guy runs up and punches a nun and then says, thought you'd be tougher than that, Batman. <laughs> I think the uh, the last quote I want to do is also from that surge. I thought it was an excellent way to end the collection, um, just by the way. Uh, so uh, Jack, who's really, let's, let's just be honest, he's the main character in every single one of these stories, I think. Um, Goes to see uh, his woman, and the long and the short of it is he, he did these terrible things to get some money for her. Um, she's pregnant, and of course, like all good you know pregnant girlfriends you have to steal money for, she's crazy. So <laughs> at one point, she's, she's trying to stab him in the course of the story, and this is the setup. Um, Jack gives her one good punch right in the belly, a shot he figures doesn't count as domestic violence because they were pretty sure it was going to be a boy, and his son should be able to fucking take it. Yeah, I liked her character. She's the, she's the, um, not to give too much away, but she mm-hmm. gets the drop on him like no one in law enforcement was able to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. There's there's one more brilliant part of that story I just want to mention. <laughs> just 
the story was already great. And then he goes across the hallway or whatever to across the hall from the apartment to his other girlfriend who's also <laughs> pregnant. She's a little less pregnant. Perfect. Who also yeah. needs rent money. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's something that I I uh, something I tried to do in workshop when I was um, under under Chuck Kinder's tutelage was I kept trying to convince him that why do it once when you can do it twice. <laughs> And he would just be like, no, no. And I'd say, why do it once when you can do it twice? And they'd, because they'd always try to cut out, this is redundant. You've, but yeah, but that's why it's funny. You know, it's, it's not funny unless you do it twice. And anyway, that's exactly what that is. That's an attempt to just, you can't not do it uh, twice. I don't know. It is. I've always liked repetition as a, uh, a form of like humor. And that's because, definitely a repetitive story. Because <laughs> it's just, yeah, once you, like, yeah, you hit it, you get a, a a weird situation, and you're like, all right, I get this. But then, like, when it happens again, you're like, yeah, there's a different reaction that's, like, more intense almost. All right, I have a quote from doing everything but actually doing it. Uh, and this is the one where, uh, essentially, these these this guy and this girl are, it's kind of like a first date almost, and they're, driving somewhere and then they end up deciding to follow this police officer around for like three days or something crazy like that. But, uh, the, this isn't even like a humorous. So a lot of our quotes have been humorous and everything, but, um, I think one of the things that I really dig about, uh, your, your writing style, David, is how like intelligent and, and you, you state things and, and the way that you phrase words and stuff like that. This quote I thought was just brilliant. Um, Jack felt like he was losing her. So he told her a story, the best one he'd been saving. He unloaded it all at once in an ugly brick of words that actually made the car squeak from the weight. And the beautiful thing about that 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 line is that the rest of the page is just one brick of text. So you can actually physically see the uh, the brick of words that you mentioned in the in the sentence before. I thought that was really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I worked on that. Um, and that brick of text is the story of uh, the police officer in Pittsburgh that shot that kid in the hand. Mm-hmm. Which is 100% true, and um, he's, he's a real piece of shit. And he's, I was going to dedicate this book to him because he, uh, he got off completely for drunkenly shooting someone in the hand. That, that's exactly how that story went down, that brick of, brick of text. Mm-hmm. He wants to read about him, but anyway. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's one that just, um, that story is also pretty, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, flagship story of the book it's got a lot of themes in it and uh yeah for sure but i think it for uh, overall i think what I, uh, there's a tendency to just kind of maybe embrace the humor or the the uh, absurdity of a lot of stuff you write but there is like so common in your stories is that clever um way of 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 stating things or referencing things a very like you have a very like subtle uh, like wisdom and wit with the way that you write things. Oh, thanks. Oh. Just shut the whole room up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, you ready to do uh, wrap up and give this some stars? Yeah. Why don't you right. start it off? All right. A um, couple things we didn't get to mention because we've talked so long about most of these stories is that um, there's the the theme obviously is is first responders and <laughs> what they do for us every day. Um, but there are a lot of different genres, so I'm glad we got um, to cover you know a few of them. Um, there's a story called Clam Digger that's a totally different kind of horror story. At least that's how I read it. 
it, it was really kind of a frightening tale. Um, there's these crazy... One of my notes actually says, it says, Keaton descends further into madness with one-way streets and giant mantises. Mm. There's like this logic that follows these really, really crazy stories where someone might actually believe that, that you're nuts um, and that they all make perfect sense to you, that they're not just told to be, you know, interesting stories or whatever, but it, it's delivered in such a way that the most absurd story in here makes a certain kind of sense, um, which was which was really, really nice. I laughed out loud at countless times, um, probably as, as David has pointed out to us, not necessarily things he thought was funny or thought were supposed to be funny, but it didn't matter. I was still entertained, so... Um, easily, easily five stars. One of, one of the best collections I've read. Boom. That's the first time I think, uh, an author has gotten five starred live. Um, Mm -hmm. all right. Feels good. (laughs) I'm going to keep it short. Um, we talk about David all the time on the podcast. Um, if you want, if you haven't read anything of his and you want to, uh, get a feel for it, uh, we've got three different episodes that he, did readings on so you can hear uh really good examples of his writing but essentially uh this what comes down to is we we've, we've been waiting since zbnb for like a full just book of, of your stuff and um weren't disappointed um the <laughs> the humor the 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 i mean the wit the whole, i mean the whole book and then kind of like the spectrum of different styles of stories you have like livius was kind of saying um, crime, horror, you know, some like bits of magical realism, like you were saying before, uh, a Western. Um, it was very nice and, and nothing clashed. And the overall theme of um, the authorities and everything, uh, it just all was pretty awesome. And I dug it. And I've been waiting a while for it and it did not disappoint. I, I too am going to go five stars on this. Excellent. David, you're on the episode. Did you want to give it some stars too? I'm going to give it. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna give it five stars because um, it didn't disappoint. And <laughs> it, uh, no. <laughs> oh, I do want to say though that um, <laughs> as kind of a you know how like when um, re- reviewers are reviewing something if they have a personal connection with the author they do this disclaimer and everything like that. Well, see that's um, see that's bullshit, dude. That that is totally yeah. unnecessary because here's the thing. It, people might think, why, you know, how could you give it anything less than five stars? Dude's on, on the air, you talk to him five times already. Well, that's exactly why it has to be five stars, because eventually I start writing these things directly for you guys. <laughs> and if you, the fact that you got all the, I mean, the, the genre crossing and the, what I was trying to do, I honestly doubt that a lot of people are going to be able to connect so directly with it. Because I've I've grown up on this show. I mean, think about it. This when I first uh, talked to you guys a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on these stories. So if it's not, if it doesn't connect with you, I should just fucking hang it up. So it may it's it's not a matter of uh, you know uh, some sort of uh, inside uh, inside insider trading. You know, yeah. this is what this would have to be. It's the it's the um, synchronicity of the show with the kind of work that I'm writing for an audience that I can directly talk to right after I do it. And we've had that opportunity that I haven't had before. A reviewer is usually a ghost voice online and 
us having conversations has certainly affected it. And as Livia uh, said off the air, I'm stealing your guys' own personal experiences <laughs> anyway. So how can you not give five story stars to something that I'm stealing from your personal lives? <laughs> so. um, absolutely. I fully agree. I fully agree with that. And um, I do want to say that it, it didn't go unnoticed that we are in the acknowledgments. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. Oh, yeah. Yes, thank uh, you the first thing much. I did, and this is like this is definitely showing my hand a little bit. <laughs> now the first thing I do when I get a book from someone I know is I, I search to see if my name is in it anywhere. <laughs> and to make sure that it's spelled properly. <laughs> and that again, that's it's, it's natural that of course it's a, you guys' name is in there because you're you're giving me a chance to give a voice to any sort of writing philosophy that's developing in front of my own eyes. Like I wouldn't have a conversation about my own work out loud it's the nature of your show that lets me put a voice to it and actually refine what i'm doing so that shouldn't be um it shouldn't be uh, uh underestimating you know the I, not just that it's a re, you're not just reviewing things you're actually authors are able to solidify any sort of writing philosophy they have which I probably didn't have the first time we talked. <laughs> but then it all starts to, I start to, a pattern emerges from repetition, as you said. So anyway, it's uh, not to kiss your ass, but that's uh, I feel I, mean? I feel a hug coming on sometimes. Yeah, yeah I'm feeling a little warm and fuzzy. Yeah. It's a virtual hug. So wait, let's get back to the part where you're stealing Livius's life. And why <laughs> okay, is my so, life not being stolen? Well, I might have stolen from, from both of you. I don't know. So I'm not going to. I'll answer any question okay. uh, about it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to confess anything. I already confessed too much in this episode. <laughs> if David knows it or not, I have lost the T top on the expressway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that one. Although I'm not the one that threw it off my car. I was uh, drinking one night, a girl that I worked with. Uh, convinced me it was a good idea to drive to Paris, Illinois, which is like three hours away to like pick up one of her friends like on a Thursday night at like 10 o'clock at night. And this moron, we're on, we're on the expressway. <laughs> and she goes, hey, how do you take these off? And she points at the T-tops. Now, taking off T-tops while we're, we're driving was something I, I'd done, never on the expressway, but, you know, like 20 miles an hour, you know. So I kind of, I, I pulled the latch on the T-top and I lift it up, you know, how they would just kind of pivot up a little bit. And I put it back down and I lock it. So I see her doing the same thing, and it doesn't occur to me that she thinks they're actually attached. So she just keeps pushing until I see the T-top, like, three feet above the car for, like, three seconds with us. And then it just goes shooting back. Now, luckily, it was late at night. And uh, I, I didn't see any cars behind me swerve or, like, drive into one another. But so, yeah, I, I, I've lost the T-top on the expressway, which reading it in somebody else's story was very, very strange. Um but then the other one was, and I, I'm sorry because I don't know what story it's from. I was actually arrested for a water pistol once, which was also oh, very weird right. to read in a story. So um, we were in high school. We were seniors in high school. We were, we were driving driving to the mall. Uh, it was me, my buddy, and these two girls. And my buddy sitting in the front seat and said, hey, was at a carnival? And like third place contest and something was like a water pistol. And of course, this was 20 plus years ago when they made water pistols black. Yeah, oh, yeah. So it actually looked, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, my buddy thought it would be funny to point this out the window at people. A couple cars behind us was an undercover state cop. He's the kind of cop that drives around and busts other cops. 
and he pulls us over. And at this point, by the time he actually gets to pulling us over, the the you know the fun had worn off with the the gun, and I wasn't even really thinking about it. He gets out and his hands are shaking, and he's got his gun pulled and he's pointing it at me. <laughs> he says, "Put your hands on the dashboard." So I put my hands on the dashboard, and he's like, "Open the door." And I was like, "I can't. I have my hands on the dashboard." Exactly. <laughs> so he says, "Where's the gun?" And I swear to God, I had no idea what he's talking about. This is like three minutes after this happened. I'm like, what do you, what, what fucking gun? Any rate, he did actually arrest us. Um, we were very, uh, you know, the dangerous criminals. So they didn't put us in a cell. They, they handcuffed us to a table in the lunchroom. Um, and they, they made us call our parents and have our parents come get us. We had, to, we had to write statements. They wanted us to write statements. So my statement said, I was driving the car that my friend Nick was pointing a water pistol out the window of. That was my whole statement. Um, I actually have a gun pointed at me, a police pointing a gun at me story as well. I don't know if I've told even you, Liv, Livius. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, it's not that exciting of a story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, my friend Jay, it was his 21st birthday, and I was 20, so I couldn't go out to the bar with him, so we'd arrange to kind of hang out later at like a Denny's, you know, like 20-year-olds do. So he shows up to the Denny's, and he's just... And somehow, miraculously, in like the 45 minutes he was at the bar, he just got so completely drunk um, that by the time they were in the parking lot of the Denny's, he was just vomiting like everywhere in the parking lot. Like to the point where I looked over at the Denny's and, and I saw that everybody in the restaurant was gathered at the window watching him vomit in the parking lot. And um, so after letting him vomit as much as I imagine he had, he had the capacity to vomit. We're, we're trying to put him back in my friend's car, but he was just basically like a limp body. And um, so it was very difficult. And there was like two of us trying to pick him up off the ground and shove him into this car. And suddenly I hear car tires screeching and I look over and a police officer had stopped sideways in the middle of the road outside of this Denny's and uh, got out of the car and was pointing his gun at us. And he yelled out to us, uh, stop kicking that man. And uh, so we dropped him on the ground, like he was like halfway standing, and we just like let go of him, and that was it. And then like seriously, about eight eight police cars. If you want to talk about overkill, um, the scene ended up with uh, there ended up being about eight police cars, about f four ambulances, and two fire trucks showing up uh, because this one guy was vomiting in the Denny's parking lot. It was. Uh, a little bit insane. But yeah, that was the only time anybody's actually had a gun pointed at me. Shit. Oh, I have, I'm sure, I'm sure David could tell us 30 stories where cops pulled a gun on him. <laughs> well, the last, the last threats with a gun was I had, I had a, a paint scraper in my back pocket and he, he just sort of fingered his weapon. He didn't quite point it at me. He, <laughs> sort, of, he sort of stroked it threateningly. We got pulled over, um, on our way to paint some houses, uh, and, um, the guy, the guy who was driving, he didn't have tag, uh, current tags on his car or whatever. And we were wearing bandanas because we were painting houses and we didn't want to get covered in paint. These guys thought we were uh, gang members because we had these do-rags on. And um, he had stickers on his car, which actually said Grateful Dead. <laughs> we, were, we laughed about that. Like, what's, He probably thinks that's a, like a tough gang name. Yeah. But, um, but I, I, not, I didn't listen to the Grateful Dead. I was listening to Billy Squire at the time. Seemed grateful that, but he pull, he pulls us over. He's like, "Can we search the car? You guys go over and stand in the ditch." 
And um, he's like, do you have any weapons on you? And uh, I sort of turn around to show him my back pocket where I have this paint scraper. And I said, you mean this? <laughs> Which I don't know what he thought was coming next, but he was like, put your hands up. And he like had his hand next to his gun, but not quite pulled it. And I said, it's a fucking paint scraper, genius. He's like, throw it on the ground. I'm like, okay. The yeah. longer we talk, the longer I support your theory about the police. Now that I think <laughs> yeah. about it, I mean, it was, I, just, uh, it was just ridiculous. But this may or may not make it in the show due to length, but um, a friend of mine got a gig where he would go into um, foreclosed homes, and he would change the locks, and then he'd, he'd be paid. He'd be paid to clean up any anything that's left inside the home. So a lot of time it was furniture, just some garbage. But they were like. He had to put stuff in the drains so the water wouldn't freeze. Like, there was this whole list of things he would do. So for a while, he was like, hey, dude, you know, I'll pay you, like, whatever, like, 50 bucks to go around and do this stuff with me. So, yeah, I've got nothing better to do. So we do this 5 o'clock in the evening. We, we get to a pretty populated suburb of Chicago. We're in Wheeling. And, uh, of course, you know, we don't have keys for these homes. So you either had to crowbar the door or, or somehow get in. So we're carrying. I've got, like, two two toolboxes, and he had one of these big five five to um five gallon paint things that he used to carry stuff in so i'm hauling all this stuff up to a door and a woman drives through the alley and sees us crack this door open with a crowbar so i understand why she called the police <laughs> yeah and the second i saw i said i said this lady's gonna call the police i said this to him and he's like yeah that's cool he's like I got, i've got bank paperwork and stuff that i'm gonna be here so so he goes, yeah, go ahead and change the lock on the door. It was the first thing he wanted me to do. So I have a, a, a drill, like a little black and decker, you know, like red, you know, cheap drill thing. It's like 10 minutes later, all of a sudden I hear put down the weapon. <laughs> so I, I'm kneeling because I'm trying to unscrew thing, And I look up and there is a cop with a gun pointed at me. So I, I put the drill down. I yell for my buddy, Joe. I go, Joe, you're going to want to come up here. Now, Joe is a uh, God damn it. <laughs> 370 pounds, Rob. He's a big dude. Yeah. They felt the need to handcuff both of us. Now I get handcuffed <laughs> and I'm sitting on the stoop, right? This woman has Joe down on the ground because he comes upstairs. And he's got like a crowbar in his hand. <laughs> so they're yelling at him to get on the ground. Now, now, mind you, we've got all these tools and stuff sitting outside. So obviously we're not burglaring the place. It, it's rush hour. It's like five o'clock. And we got all this stuff laying around. Here. But this woman cop is trying to put handcuffs on joe and she's got her knee in his back and she can't get his arms together and he's yelling at her you gotta use two sets of cuffs he'd been handcuffed before and she just wasn't listening she was gonna make these handcuffs fit no matter what they kept this for half an hour and and i'm telling i'm like talking i'm like dude look at all the tools here what do you think we're gonna steal i'm like look around there's garbage like he's got paperwork in the truck half hour they kept us there and it was like you said rob by the time we were done it was six cop cars for us, so you know what? The, did they the apologize? I'm, I'm did with they, you. Did they? Oh them? no! Oh no! No! Are you kidding? They didn't so ask got, to be heroes. When they got, <laughs> yeah. when they got to the bottom of it, what did they say? No, they were like, they, well, then they were like, you know, you should really call us if you're going to do this kind of stuff. Joe's like, I'm, I'm so that's I'm here. So that's yeah, the, yes. the moral of the yeah. story. I knew yeah. there was a that was just yeah. their way of saying, call us next time. Let's yeah. make this be a pain in mm-hmm. the ass. Yeah. yeah. So. The thing I like the best about that story, and when Joe tells it. Um, didn't he mow the lawn or something like that? Like I thought, I thought there was a part of the story where like he was explaining that, you know, I'm not going to break into a house and steal stuff. And like, while I'm here, mow the lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had a lawnmower out on the, on the thing too. Like we had pulled all this stuff out of the truck. Yeah. That's what you should do. If you're going to rob the house. (laughs) All right. You're, you're driving, you're doing the safe, you're mowing the lawn. (laughs) Now now to to be fair, to be fair, Joe did 
break into the wrong house once one that was still <laughs> occupied by somebody like he got the address wrong he was like across the street so I, I guess he didn't he wasn't in that business for very long as you can probably imagine from when i said he broke into the wrong person's house but uh yeah i'm totally i'm gonna steal this too by the way yeah. oh yeah have at it this is going into a story I like uh, that we kind of brought our own stories to bash authorities into this uh, you did. episode. You did. Speaking of fuck the police, you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, the trailer and accompanying music that the listeners are going to hear at the at the end of this episode? Oh yeah, okay. The um, it was uh, my friend Jesse Hall, who's in uh, Bear Cub. They're a Nashville uh, based band right now. I met him in Pittsburgh when Bear Cub was just starting up. And they moved to Nashville to to make it big they got a couple um couple albums but uh i called him and uh initially i, I was gonna have him just write a song because he's fucking brilliant and he would just probably pull a song out of his ass and he, i uh he said well how about fuck the police and he said i'll do a kind of a bluegrass version i thought well that's even more perfect let's let's do that and thinking well he's got a lot to do you know he's there they're touring or whatever he did it that night. He sent me the MP4, and if you if you listen to it, it's got all these uh, other loftier um, expectations, like banjo solo. But there's no banjo <laughs> solo. Because he sent me the thing, and he's like, "Okay, this is just the, our first run through, our demo." He's like, "But I'm gonna put a big kick drum in it, and all these harmonies, and then there'll be a banjo solo." Well, none of that's obviously necessary. When you hear the song, it's perfect the way it is. But I just love the idea of it. Um, that it uh, it's still this epic in his head, you know. <laughs> but it and it it's catchy. I think he should sell it. I think he should put it on iTunes or something and sell the damn thing because it's you know it's from the tradition of that that gin and juice cover by was it Gord or whoever and uh, mm-hmm. Gord's and uh, you know bo- uh, Boys in the Hood and um, it's it's catchy. But there was actually two three more verses we had to cut them for the for the trailer because. It just it's too long. That trailer can only be about two minutes, and then it feels like, uh, well, <laughs> you made your point. So we're going to do a director's cut of that trailer in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> so for now, it's the, the short version. But the, the idea, if you've seen it, is uh, in my head, it was going to be this, this teenager as sort of this Godzilla presence who looms over the, the camera and then uh, um, stomps on a police car was the original idea. I wanted to you'd see a police car zipping around. Um, and I was hoping a toy police car would look very realistic. And a lot of them do now with the lights on them. And then uh, in walks in slow motion this young kid who would stomp it. And that would be, you know, bashing authority or whatever. But I ordered some toy police cars on Amazon and they didn't look real. And uh, they also, one of them I thought had lights, but it didn't. And that, so they looked like shit. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll use a police helicopter and my friend Jeff got me a toy helicopter for a wedding present. And uh, it happened to look like a cop uh, helicopter. It had red and blue lights on it. So we thought, well, let's use that. And we'll have him grab it out of the air like Godzilla. And we put a camera <laughs> on a skateboard to be on the ground. And we went to a skate park. And he would be walking out of this tunnel. And it was all perfect in our heads. And um, my buddy uh, Harley Ferris, he's, uh, he goes to UofL. You know, he does all this video um, production stuff. And so he was really into it. And he got his son, Noah, to be, there, to be our Unabomber-looking teen. But it, it, the helicopter didn't work at the skate park. It, um, any gust of wind, and it would just flip upside down and fall. 
we spent hours out there and we couldn't get the thing to work. We couldn't, and it looked great from the angles he had. It looked exactly how we pictured it, but we couldn't have the helicopter. So we just went to my basement where there would be no wind and we had it rise up in this hallway and then we just had him grab it and we sort of settled on it. And it's not exactly what we wanted, but by having him kind of look at it in the dark, it's a different idea, but like the light um, kind of shining on his face at the end. Hopefully you still get the idea that the helicopter represents police and it's this tiny, you know, impotent thing. And then the, the kid is the, is the authority basher. So anyway, we like, we like how it turned out. Um, you end up with something that wasn't quite what you wanted, but nobody knows that. So they just see the final product. And <laughs> no, now they all do. Now they know. Yeah. Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I believe the version that we'll be playing uh, at the end of this show is the full version oh, with all four hundred. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exclusive. So, uh, yep. That's that's, that's we're good, all about that. That one's good because I won't give it away. But at the end of it, the uh, our singer Jesse comments on <laughs> the whole uh, the whole idea of what he did. So <laughs> wait for his at the very end of it. He has to reflect on what he's become by doing that song. Nice. Because he did say, you know, it's funny, Dave, but when you do a bluegrass version of a, of a rap song, it sounds kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> that is beautiful. <laughs> so, Mr. Keaton, what else are you working on? Well, wait, wait, wait hold on a second. Let's not ask you this. What's the next thing you think people are likely to read from you? Um, Besides the booked anthology story. Well, that's the, what I was going for. Damn it. Sorry, sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, you wanna, <laughs> that's what I was going to talk about. Book mm-hmm. the, uh, I have a dragon in the dumpster story. Dragon by the dumpster. The uh, booked, booked anthology. Again. Not, not to be confused with ass eating by the dumpster. Right. That's a different dumpster story. <laughs> the original, and it's, it's one that had a different title, but I think you'll agree that this title's better. It was originally called Turn Off the Water. <laughs> well, that totally makes sense. Yeah, but it's Dragon by the Dumpsters more. It's got more words in it, and as I learned at Pitt, if I learned anything, more words are means better title. And it's uh, it's pretty much a true story, except um, no, it's all it's all pretty much true. Names were changed, <laughs> people were conflated into one person, but um, that story may get me into trouble. <laughs> So well, well, it's cool because the guy doesn't have a thumb, right? Uh, well, yeah. n- that's the only thing that's not. Yeah, does that have a thumb? Another thumbless protagonist? <laughs> no. no I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if I just didn't give him a thumb for no reason. Yeah. You might have to do some eleventh hour like revisions. Yeah, depending on who reads that, um, that that could be a problem. Which is why it's it needs to be out there. You know, roll those dice. <laughs> we'll be starting a legal defense fund for David James Keaton. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's coming up, and then um, I have a story in uh, Hoods, Hot Rods, and Hellcats, or is it Hoods, Hellcats, and Hot Rods, or Hot Rods, Hellcats, and Hoods? Either way, <laughs> that's coming Some up. Some combination of those three things. Those three words, and uh, it's called a, a headless hoggy style, and it's um, greaser noir was the theme for the collection. And uh, that's coming up pretty soon. That's going to be um, more. That's a bigger project. I'll, I'll wait for. I'll wait for the the guy to to debut the project. But it's not just 
not just a book. So that's coming up. Um, and that's, that may or may not answer the question, but can someone have sex with a motorcycle? And, I'm not, <laughs> and there's no magical realism, and that's not, it's not a riddle. I'm talking seriously. Can you have sex with a motorcycle? I answer that question in that story. So that's, that's coming up. The question uh, that's uh, been on everyone's mind. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. And uh, I'm revising a novel. Um, I think I talked to you guys about it two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Spunk Water. I'm still revising it. Now it's called The Last Projector. And it's much different. There's very little spunk left in it. <laughs> <laughs> there's still there's still a villain masturbating in the Venus flytraps. But other than that, it's very different. And uh, I'm hoping to have that revision done this month. Shop it around. Maybe somebody will uh, somebody will bite. So that's the that's the novel. Other than that, um, those are the main things. I'm gonna concentrate on longer stuff. So. So novellas and novels now until until I think of until I, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, as always, absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you for being our first author that ever uh, sort of co-reviewed, or I guess it was more as if you were you were being like reviewed on a pa like panel reviewed. Anyway, yeah, it felt like I was the defending my my dissertation. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah, it was fun. To, it was a real time, a real time review. Yeah. I'd well, we always love having you on. Um, so hopefully this didn't dissuade you from doing so in the future. No, I hope to do about ten more of these. Awesome. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks, David. Thanks for thanks for giving me a call, guys. Once again, that was David James Keaton. Um, if you like that, go back and listen to like the eighteen other episodes he's been on. I don't even know what else to say. Thanks, David. <laughs> yeah, he's been on it. <laughs> That's the thing. Like uh, three reading episodes, he came on once to talk about Tony Gian Gregorio. Uh, he helped us review uh, Zombie Bake Off, which was one of the better, like one of the best books we've read in a long time. Uh, he he talked to us about ZBMB. Yeah, we interviewed him. Dan Hines from the Fat Nate po podcast was on with us. So he, he's just, David James Keaton is all over this podcast. And, uh, and we like him there. That's exactly where we like him. So uh, definitely go out, buy this book, Fish Bites Cop. It's available everywhere fine books are sold, which means it's available on Amazon. Yeah, Kindle edition's like six bucks. How could yes. you go wrong? Um, he's doing a giveaway on Goodreads too. So go enter, click the button, and, uh, and enter the giveaway. I do, believe, I do believe that there may be some kind of doodling in each one of the books he gives away. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You, I, you know what? That, that's in the book in... in ZBMB that you got? Um, do I want to talk about it? No. no, I was just asking if you remembered. Oh my god, yeah. It was the first I think he said it was the first time he ever autographed a book. Mm -hmm. So, so um, give the man some love. Uh, if you're, if we haven't sold you on it, just Google him. He's publishing over 50 things. I'm sure 20 stories you can probably find online. And he will be in the book anthology. That's right. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, an epic book review. First time we reviewed a book with the author on the sh on the show. Are you exhausted? I feel like I'm emotionally exhausted. I yeah, I'm gonna need a day or two to just kind of let that sink in. Yeah. 
But for now, maybe someone else can take over this podcast for a few minutes. Give us a break. <laughs> I think we have just the person. So here is Skip Papersley with the latest edition of Booked News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Ever want to sail the high seas in search of the white whale that took your leg? Well, now you can with Moby Dick Card Game. The game, created by Andy Kopas, Mark Perloff, and John Cotterer, recently went up on Kickstarter and it's on its way to being funded. The creators were excited to discover that the drama of a book, which has been popularized in television, movies, comics, and albums, can now be a game. At this time, Book News is yet to see how the game operates. The demo that we were invited to quickly devolved into an argument over which creator got to play as Queequeg. In other news, after almost 90 years, Simon and Schuster are getting a divorce. Their publishing giant has filed for divorce in a New York City circuit court this week, citing irreconcilable differences. Lawyers for both parties said they are on good terms and the negotiations for who gets what employees are going well. As of press time, Simon is reported to start their own publishing company called Simon & Simon, while Schuster is said to be going into rocketry with Schuster's Boosters. Now for the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Cap. Taking Eve by Iris Johansson is taking fifth place this week. Back on its way to the top is the best person in history, Gillian Flynn with Gone Girl. The number three for three weeks is Kate Atkinson's Life After Life. Mary Higgins Clark just misses the bullseye with Daddy's Gone Hunting in at number two. Finally, let's all get drunk with Nora Roberts on Whiskey Beach, which is number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. And that was Skip Papersley with this week's book news. You know, I'm saying this week's because I want to encourage him to be weekly with this. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Well, now that Jillian Flynn's back on the uh, top five. Yeah, he did sound a little peppier, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, like there was a little more energy for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, Simon and Schuster, they publish books, right? Yes, sounds like it. Simon and Simon, not so much. Simon and Simon. <laughs> Did you ever watch the show Simon and Simon, or is that before your time? No. Um, I think my entire frame of reference for Simon and Simon was that I think Cartman mentioned it once in uh, South Park. Well, there you go. All right. So we have, um, God, you know, we've got a couple big weeks coming up again. I know that we've been really, really, poor Rob. God damn it. He's just got to hate this podcast. <laughs> um, this week, here are our intentions. We are. <laughs> Currently very, very close to recording an interview with Rob Roberge, author of The Cost of Living, that Rob and I adored dearly. Not the guy, the book. We might adore the guy. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, we're also going to be reviewing another another collection. This time, and we've mentioned it on the show numerous times, <laughs> Staring Into the Abyss by Richard Thomas. Here's what we need to do. We need to ask Richard if uh, if he has any idea that two word titles are better than one word titles because I'm betting there's a lot of one word titles in staring into the abyss uh, yeah I haven't looked at the TOC yet but I'm sure there are so we're going to have those two episodes not sure what order they're coming in exactly also uh, I'm, I'm just going to tease this a little bit there's a good chance we'll be recording another reading in the upcoming weeks which I am so so excited about can't yeah. give any details but I'm very very excited about it yeah, this was kind of sudden, so uh, we not a lot to say right now, but if it comes through, it's going to be pretty exciting. And if it doesn't, Rob and I are just going to read stories to you, and uh, we're going to pretend that's the reading we were talking about. Oh, man. Promise that will happen. <laughs> <laughs>
I can think of right. a few. <laughs> uh, you never know. But yeah, so it's going to be another big week. And and we're not taking a break for a while yet. We're I don't we're not even close to an interlude episode. Yeah, you know, I think that we might just relegate interlude episodes to like, uh, like the past or something. It, it, we just don't have the ability. We we can't do it anymore. I don't think. I'm sure there's a time where we'll need a break and we'll throw one down. It'll be like a like a nostalgia thing. But um, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to say this. We're reviewing Dan Brown, Inferno, the new Dan Brown book. So I think that's, right. that's three episodes away or so. And I might. This is pushing it a little bit, but I, I uh, after going to see Dan O'Shea uh, do a reading the uh, earlier this week and hearing the first chapter of his book, Penance was just released. I'm going to try and push to see if we can maybe talk about that on the podcast as well. I am all for that. You know what? Just say that we're going to do it. Remember what happened with This Is Horror? Oh, yeah. Said, that worked out quite we were well. Gonna make them review it with us. And they were yeah. like, oh, shit, we have to review it with these guys. So there you go. So all we're right. going to record this reading that I can't mention. We're going to have Robert Robertjean. You know, we're going to have a magically copies of Dan O'Shea's book are going to show up on our doorstep. Yeah, we'll review it. Maybe we'll get I think we're going to get Dan O'Shea on as well. Oh, yeah, stuff, stuff. so much stuff coming dude, up, dude. If we get Dan O'Shan, if we then collected the entire team Decker, yeah, I, I don't think anybody from Stacia Decker's uh, stable will not have been touched by us in some way, which sounds way more like prostitutional <laughs> than I meant it to sound. Nobody mess with Stacia Decker's stable. Oh man, I think See, we're this just is what happens uh, when you're when you're on Skype for. Two or two and a half hours now. Oh, one more thing yeah. to mention. You know, do you know what today is? Oh, hell yeah, I do. It's a holiday. It's it's, it's two holidays today. It's like Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> oh my god, that's true because it's Cinco de Mayo, but it's also Orthodox Easter, right? That's right, and that's how we wound up with this epic episode. It is a miracle. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's a miracle. Yeah, um, so. Twice, twice the holiday, twice the length of the podcast. I think is what it has yep. to be. Nobody's listening anymore. No, no. They're so, picking it up like this is like they they listen to half of it and then like wait a week and they listen to the other half. Um, well, if you're listening a week later, catch up on the other two episodes we've already posted. That's right. Until Keep next, up, kids. Yep. Until next time, I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. Hey, young nigga, get up out of the brown. Not the other colors of the police, they think they have the authority to kill a minority. Fuck that chick, cause I ain't the one. For a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun. To be beaten on and thrown in jail, we can go toe to toe in the middle of my cell.
talk, motherfuckers be afraid of me. Hey, young nigga on a warpath. When I'm done, there'll be a love path. Of dying cops in LA, yo, Trey, I got something to say. Ridiculous.